Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the world, the globe, and the universe, because not only are we international, but we serve the galaxies as well. This is Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast for the lifestyle of video game developers. I'm your host, Mr. Larry Charles, and of course, just because they close the shores on the beach at this time of the hour, Mr. Brandon Pham. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode. I and Larry have a really <laughs> awesome guest to introduce you guys to. It's Matt Brown. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for that intro. Wow. They never let us engineers talk. It's nice. <laughs> uh, it's, well, maybe that's a good thing. Should we stop the episode here? Or are we... <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I'll, I'll come up with good stuff. Most people don't want to hear it, I guess. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you, and thank you for being a part of it. You know, your evening time is always very cherished, so we, we just wanted to say we appreciate you joining. Uh, no, I'm glad to be here. My girlfriend's out of town, so I got all night. You know, <laughs> got all that time. Don't lie. He said he has a girlfriend. Come on. We're game developers. We don't have girlfriends. Uh, she's out of town, conveniently. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, of so. course, uh, Larry and I know who you are, Matt. Uh, I work with you personally at 2K, but do you mind going over your resume, kind of introducing yourself to our audience? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to make it relatively quick. Um, Oh man, I'm getting old now. Uh, I need a crib sheet here. So yeah, I uh, I started in games officially. I joined uh, at EA during the big uh, hiring. They did for Godfather. They uh, they had a big hiring uh, binge, and I kind of slipped in. Before that, I had tried so many times to get into the game industry. I think when I graduated from MIT, I sent out like 60 resumes, and this was right after the dot com crash in like 2002. So. I had a real hard time. I got like one paid internship offer for like six bucks an hour. And I just couldn't afford to move. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I just went to grad school and uh, and then I entered the inter- in, uh, the uh, Independent Games Festival 2003 with like a little game. Didn't win any awards. So for me, I, I really kind of needed to take any break I could. And so that was on the Godfather project, which uh, both <laughs> I, I don't know. Like it's kind of famous in the Bay Area at least. Uh, yeah. Larry, I, you probably heard people at Sledgehammer talk about it. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, um, but for me, that was my introduction to the game industry, so kind of thrown into the fire. Um, and then after that, I escaped to 2K, <laughs> which was honestly probably one of the most positive experiences I've had in gaming in terms of just the most talented team of people right. I've ever worked with. Uh, and just really focused, uh, and, you know, in retrospect, it was such a short amount of time, something less than two years, I feel like, from yeah. um, from pre-production to in the stores, uh, and and that's from like forming a brand new studio. So like yeah. that kind of acceleration is just relatively unheard of. Um, uh, and then I uh, so yeah, actually Ray is a, I think uh, Ray's a, a you know I think a friend of Larry as well. Uh, so I met Ray at EA. He's the one that introduced me to to 2K. Uh, and he ended up also bringing me over to Ubisoft Toronto. In between, I went to 343. Yeah, and I worked on uh, Halo 4 for a bit. I didn't really get along with the uh, the Microsoft politics, which are pretty intense over at 343. Okay. Um, 
but so I ended up, and then and then Ray basically was over starting Ubisoft Toronto. So uh, I got, so I decided to go try Toronto out. Uh, so th that was a lot of fun. So I got a lot of experience with a lot of different game engines on back to back. Uh, and so yeah, Splinter Cell Blacklist shipped, and then uh, I decided to give the whole mobile web gaming thing a try, and uh, move and uh, went to like Hixai and some other mobile gaming companies, but. Um, but it's just been uh, the, the mobile gaming market and the web the web in, uh, the web market for gaming is just really hard to predict. It's uh, it's scary. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm uh, mostly known for AI lead on um, Bioshock Two and Splinter Cell Backlist. I wasn't AI lead for the entire Halo Four project, but I was, did a lot of it. <laughs> Dude, so yeah, that's kind of my background today. <laughs> Awesome. It's an impressive resume for your first offer being, oh, six bucks an hour as an internship. You've come a long a way, jump. my friend. <laughs> I actually regret not taking it. It was at Praxis, but like I couldn't afford to move to like Maryland for the summer yeah. for like six bucks an hour yeah. at the time. I was a poor college kid. So. Yeah. That's an um, insane low amount of money. Is that even, well, that back even then, legal? Nobody, honestly, very few people paid interns back then. Yeah. Uh, most people were unpaid internships. Like, I, there were actually a couple of unpaid internships, but I, I, I couldn't afford that. <laughs> you should be honored that we're giving you six bucks. <laughs> well, no, no, I mean, I was a young kid at the time. You know, when you're 20, nobody knows yeah. anything, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's such a weird figure to give. It's like it's they felt guilty. It was like <laughs> that they're going to get you. wage, maybe, you know. But, uh, six dollars, yeah. Well, but, you know, Brexit was doing it at the time, so they didn't have much cash. So, right. you know, I can't blame them. Yeah. Uh, before you jump into more of the subject matter for this episode, you mentioned that you worked at for uh, uh, Kixai, and I remember Kixai had like one of the biggest and most, I guess, infamous marketing push for talent that I had seen in quite a while. Were you part of that sweep, or were they no? Okay. I came in. So um, I'll, I'll be careful about what I say because uh, <laughs> because I, I I did sign a legal agreement restricting what I can say. Okay. Um, but I came in kind of way after that push. They okay. were basically trying to enter a new market, um, and they built a very small team of, I want to say, so at its peak, probably 10 to 12, but like six engineers, basically, uh, on a, you know, I'll, I'll say a few things, but it was like an Unreal 4 VR um, uh, free-to-play kind of thing, but like very high end on like you know, Oculus DK2, so it was going to be really cutting edge, and it was really experienced. Everybody was like super experienced. So six guys, six engineers, and like six really experienced. Like all these, people. I was like the second youngest on the team, okay. and I'm I'm not a young guy. Um, so it was a really secret project, and then they axed it. Like we were ready to launch. We were, we were we had a plan for launching in like three months, and they decided not to enter that market. So they axed the team. So. Uh, I was hoping to be part of like so so they kept us on a different floor actually from the rest of Kixai because they, because culturally it was very different. Um, the rest of uh, Kixai is still around, so I don't want to <laughs> insult them too much. There are a lot of big guys there, um, but it's a very different culture than traditional AAA gaming. Okay, uh, that's funny. I'll just say that. Yeah, no, that's, that's not dirty laundry either. That's just you know. <laughs> I just was gonna ask you like yeah, Larry. I saw the commercial and I was like hell yeah, I want to work there. <laughs> no, so that commercial was like two years before I ended up there. Okay, okay. Um, but the CEO is like that. Okay. That guy is not acting in that video. Gotcha. Um, okay. <laughs> and whatever you've heard about him is probably true. <laughs> I think for some of the people who are new to the podcast or the gaming industry, I'm gonna have to like dig for that commercial and see if I can find it and put it in the show notes because that was, it was there, to be honest. They're a little embarrassed about it. Like after they 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 were they were a little embarrassed about it after it came out, like the year after it came out. Because, um, but at the time they were trying to get visibility, and nobody had ever heard of Pixite before that video. 
Uh, and so for that, it was effective. But, yeah. you know, it's definitely they're not proud of it now. <laughs> it's out there. It's on YouTube. What do they say? Because the internet mistakes are forever. No, I shouldn't even say that. It wasn't a mistake. <laughs> it worked out, right? No, yeah. Like, it, it was, honestly, the way their CEO works, yeah. you know, he will stand by it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So anyway, I'll leave them alone. I just, that was yeah. a gnarly commercial and I just had to know if you're like, you know, yeah, I was one of the people you know, that. They're, they're doing the best they can in okay. a very difficult market, you know? I yeah. Uh, I am not going to defend anything they do though. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to jump in now with a, a, a change of pace on this question, actually, because you said you graduated MIT, and so there's that's a rare, I guess, alma like mater for the game industry. So my question is, you know, going to MIT but then going into games, you know, uh, why would you do that versus maybe go to tech or you know Silicon Valley and actually? I have a very jaded view of MIT, I think, uh, which is probably unusual. No, I didn't get along with people. Again, maybe I shouldn't say this too publicly. I didn't get along that many, that, with that many people while I was at MIT. I was, I was working my way through school, and the way they do like grading on a curve, it was just a very competitive environment. Um, but I will say this. MIT trains people um, at a very high level, a very theoretical level, for like very long-term careers, but they do not explicitly teach them how to code. Um, and so a lot of people, this may not be true anymore. Um, 15 years ago, a lot of people who graduated were very, like, you know, if you needed somebody to write a Lisp compiler, mm -hmm. sure, you could hire them. Um, but if you actually needed somebody to, to write, like, write game code, like, very few people are equipped for that quality. Because there's a, there's a certain level of detail and, and attention to, you know, knowing how to build things. That takes a lot of, of, of on-the-job learning, uh, and you just—it's schools are not prepared for that kind of expertise training. And then you, so you just, you know, M MIT teaches is very good about teaching other things, but it's not good at teaching that. And uh, I would say that a lot of the, especially back then, a lot of the tech companies are very much, um, you know, in more institutional hiring for very long-term, long period. You know, they're hiring people for that for their company for 20 years. Um, I don't know. I can't really speak to it now. Graduating from MIT, uh, MIT's graduate school is much, much, okay, in my opinion, uh, MIT's graduate school is much more prestigious than its undergraduate school. Its undergraduate school is fantastic, but it mostly trains people to handle workloads and things like that, um, okay. which is also very important. Uh, I did go to UPenn for grad school, um, which was a different environment, um, also very theoretical, um, but it's colleges are not very good at teaching practical skills. When I joined the game industry, I, I think like 25% of the engineers on Godfather, like, or 20%, I think was the number, didn't have college degrees. Oh, yeah. um, and a lot of people are self-taught. It's not the case so much anymore just because it's, uh, I don't know, times are changing and the schools are getting better at it. Um, and also the technology is changing. Um, but that was definitely the case back then. Um, well, I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's pretty, I'm very surprised because I always thought that engineering, if anything, was the only uh, discipline that needed schooling and a degree uh, in the game industry. Like, it, I had no idea that it kind of has it has the same problem as we do on art. And <laughs> like, well, a yeah, very I mean, self-driven kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's a big difference between the, uh, the crafting and the engineering of the code, uh, and that's what the schools are really not good at. And then there's the high level, how do you actually plan an attack and how do you actually build algorithms? And schooling actually does help with that. And if people don't have the schooling, eventually they'll hit a limit where, you know, their craftsmanship can only get them so far. 
Uh, and they either pick it up on the job or they don't. And you'll see a lot of people's careers stunted by that if they don't get past that barrier. Um, but I, but MIT graduates have the, I, back then at least, had the pro opposite problem where they were superbly prepared for general problem solving. They were like, you know, if you put this person to attack a problem for 10 years, they'll solve it kind of thing, which is very, not, very, very different from what games is. Games is like, okay, you have a, a year and we want you to probably pro prototype this thing. We don't care if it's efficient, right? You know, we, here are the respects and get it done. Yeah. Um, which is a very different problem, and you need a you need a different kind of education for that. And I think I don't know. I can't speak to other schools. Um, it's difficult to teach that. I don't know many schools that are well respected for that. Well, this is kind of like a, a question for the students. Like, if we were to talk about um, online resources being more available nowadays, is there a specific place that you would recommend if schooling is not the route Ooh. to go? Oh, um, well, so, so schooling, so now schooling is still important. People I know, yeah. employers actually look for it now more than they did back then. But honestly, um, people look at GitHub. They want they want to see examples. They uh, Examples go a long way. Seeing what your code is like, seeing like, you know, if, if you have a, you know, a GitHub of a bunch of projects that you worked on, people love seeing that stuff. It seems to be pretty standard. And it's, you know, breaking into the game industry now, uh, it's hard. I am so I'm so far removed. It's you know what I mean. It's it's the world's a very different place. Um, so I'm not quite sure if how competitive it is. But um, they very much like to see initiative and projects that you've done. If you've done if it's done through school, that's fine. You know, but they like to see that you've done things. Yeah. So my next question is, of course, now that you're not in the game industry, right? You mentioned you were working at a different company. What was the company again? Sorry. It's a company called Bonsai AI, and it's really small and not very well known. But uh, we're basically working on um, uh, tools for generalized AI systems. So we're building, yeah. you know, yeah. It's so they, there's like it's really hard to explain in a very short amount of time. But they they're building a, uh, a new kind of scripting language, that's like SQL for you know dis uh, for specifying a problem, and then we build automatically build neural networks and learning systems and train them for your problem. Um, but it's very much in the research phase. I'm having a lot of fun because I'm uh, I'm doing I'm learning a lot and I'm surrounded by really smart people. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. It's fun. That's cool. And yeah. is it like how often do you feel like you're making a direct contribution to what you're working on right now? Because I imagine when you're in like an early kind of idea stage, there's a lot of stuff that goes onto the wall, but not a lot of it sticks. Maybe. And I have no experience in your in your avenue, but like you know, how yeah, often? No, uh, it's really weird how, you know, it's been kind of a shock to me how I'm perceived to the technology world outside of games. Um, but they essentially brought me in to, and I, don't, I mean, they're probably not going to see this, uh, tra help transition from that theoretical to the getting more code on written and getting things done. So um, I've been there since December, and it's been a roller coaster ride. It's been, I, we've been coding like madmen, uh, and it's really exciting. Like we did, we did, you know, stuff that we implemented in January. New papers have come out since in like May, and we're rebuilding systems based on you know papers that were published from Google. You know, so you know it's just very rapid pace. Um, I'm actually because it's so small, you don't usually get this this kind of um, you don't ha get to have this kind of impact in many places unless you get there when it's early. Um, but you know, I was probably employee number six or seven, uh, and on and on the engineering team that I joined, um, there was only one other person. So I basically had the opportunity to build the entire code base from scratch. Um, which is kind of fun, and it's also a little daunting um, with how much we have to build. 
Um, but yeah, no, so that's honestly one of the biggest appeals because I've been able to have such a big impact. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, a really small startup, you know, um, we don't even, you know, we're still working on how to build our markets, you know what I mean? Like we have no, you know, we'll see, we'll see how things go. The technology itself is, I think, um, it's going to become an inevitable, it's going to be something, it's going to be something inevitable that somebody's going to have to build. I, if I'm talking too much about it, no, feel free. No, 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 I, no, I tend no. to get on tangents, but I think, um, like Facebook and Google AI research are a couple years away from realizing that it's inevitable. Um, and the reason why it's inevitable is because, um, you need some way of breaking down problems in a reasonable way. Um, so they teach, you know, they taught DeepMind how to play Go by showing it a million games of Go. Um, but that doesn't really scale to probably, you know, and that took like 100 PhDs, $50 million to do, right? Um, that doesn't really scale to most businesses. Um, and, you know, so our approach is, oh, you, you know, we can attack Go by... Um, generalizing the problem, first teach an AI to play Go on a four by four board, then teach it five on a five by five, then a six by six, then a seven by seven. You know, um, techniques like this, and you can drastically reduce the training time. Um, but the thing is, the tools right now, like TensorFlow, is too low level. We're building a lot of our code right now based on TensorFlow, but we're building it so that we're flexible. Uh, but it's too low level. Uh, you have to have a PhD in AI to understand how to do anything useful. And this, it's you know, so what we're trying to do is build a simple abstraction layer. Allow, so people don't have to know how to build a neural network, essentially, yeah. to solve a useful problem. So it's interesting. There's a lot of applications, and mostly uh, I'm learning a lot. It's, it's just uh, new, new information every day. It's great. Well, what you're doing right now that I'm seeing is the passion that sometimes <laughs> I see is gone from like long veterans of the game industry. And so this kind of leads us back to the subject, like what made you leave the game industry? For listeners out there, it's obvious you're not in the game industry anymore, but you've worked on the biggest games, and even on mobile and web, you worked on all types. But now, for some reason, and what is that reason, you left. Uh, so for me, yeah, I mean, I follow what gets me passionate and excited, and I've been in, into AI for a while. And, and games are still exciting to me, but right now, the future of games is really uncertain. Um, not that it's disappearing or anything like that. Um, but like VR is still a little early. There's there's just not enough out there for new companies. Like you know, if there's a million, let's say there's a million DK2s out there, and um, if, if you're trying to pitch a game and you only have a 10%, you know, you only get 10% of the market, which is a big amount of market. Um, that's only 100,000 copies. You know, there's very few business models that can support um, the, the VR market right now. In a couple of years, it'll be more exciting. So for me, there's a lot of risk there. I got a like, and then traditional AAA is getting a little boring. I feel like, and I started, you know, I switched a lot. Like, Bioshock 2 is a very, very different kind of game than Halo, and then Halo is a very different game than Splinter Cell. So for me, they were very exciting, it's, especially on the AI side. They were very in interesting problems to solve in each of those places. And that's one thing I will say about the game industry that against traditional tech is you don't get as interest, like as far as like computer science problems in terms of building interesting engineering systems, you don't get anything more complex than the stuff in the game industry. Um, it's because you have to deal with um, stuff that, you know, is based on reality and stuff that's not based on reality and is scriptable and is, mod you know, and is predictable and unpredictable. And it's just, um, there are no rules <laughs> in games. And so it's just incredibly interesting. You're attacking all sorts of interesting problems. I hit a point where I um, there wasn't really anything that much interesting unless I wanted to become like, 
you know, just a dude filling a seat, pumping out games at Ubisoft or something. And that to me just didn't inspire much passion. Um, so yeah, it, for me, it was like, you know, an opportunity to learn something new that gets me exciting. It gets me, exci- gets me excited. And, uh, you know, I, I have a feeling, you know, if I get bored of this, I can go back to games, you know, if it's, right. you know it's the kind of thing is gaming, you know, it's, um, you know, the technologies might even change, but it's more of a process and it's more about, you know, it's, it's more about the people you're working with. I don't know. It's fun. Gaming is, it's a very unique environment, uh, I should say. Yeah. I mean, one of the common things that, yeah, that is often said about people who work in the industry, you must really love the game industry because there are way better paying jobs, as you know, (laughs) right now. (laughs) And, uh, but the thing is, it's also a shrinking type of industry where, um, even if you are very passionate, there's just no room left for you yeah, to grow. And, and if you like, there's a lot of people from 2K, for example. I want to say probably half, or no, let's say a third of the team from 2K they went and started new indie companies. Right. Uh, and that market, like, I feel like I missed that opportunity. But on, on the other hand, I, I don't know if you've seen Steam. I could not imagine competing trying to sell 2.99 games. I mean, I don't know how you can make a living in San Francisco selling 2.99 games unless you're the top of the market. You know, it's that's scary. That's really hard. That's you know, and then the the web and mobile market seems mostly who has the deepest pockets for marketing. You know, there's there's a certain amount of quality to you know, there's a certain amount of you know game quality that matters in game design, but for the most part, marketing dollar matters a lot, um, and that's also kind of depressing. <laughs> But um, but you know AAA gaming, I, I I think it's just we're in a really hard time now because a lot of people want to transition to VR, and so they're le- they don't want to invest in non VR, you know, and right. yet the people who are investing in VR can't expect big returns because it's just not ready yet. So I don't know. It's I don't know actually. It's very uncertain to me. That's you know yeah. so. It's so, yeah. a weird yeah. It's a weird transitional period, and and one of the things that I often. Uh, encounter like you know it, it's around like the five year mark I feel when you're in the industry long enough where you start to get really retrospective of like where the hell is this industry going like am I going to be uh, old enough and strong enough to stick around or would the industry just spit me out uh, <laughs> in a way you know what I mean yeah. so like I, I've been at studios um, especially in my younger years <laughs> where uh, I would see problems that are happening and my attempts to fix it has always been futile because I had not been taught the ways of uh, politics. Like I thought, you know, if you do something right uh, or you, and you suggest it uh, and people will look to address those issues and fix it for you. And so my next question is when it comes to problems that are apparent like, have you ever encountered issues like that that contributed you wanting to leave the industry? Oh yeah, so I mean, this is that's a big topic. I so I, I don't know if Ray has told you much, but I have a bit of a reputation. I I, I um, I'm one of those people that talks up a lot, and I I voice my concerns very loudly. Um, so I'm not I love one of those, you. so <laughs> I love guys like you. <laughs> but you know, in my early days, I got I got screwed. EA screwed me for a number of years. Like I, I they were underpaying me like for like two years. So advice to people out, you know, people entering the industry out there, stick up for yourself if you think you're getting underpaid, you know, because they will just take advantage of you if you let them. Um, so stand up for yourself. But um, but yeah, no, 
the reality is there's there are bad there's bad management everywhere um and politics are honestly 2k had the best like it was like the the least amount of politics i've ever experienced and it's still had its a ton of politics yes. <laughs> you had to deal with um but like microsoft politics are also bizarre because like you know for them the um the amount of money that halo 4 would make in its entire career in its entire lifetime is like three months of office sales you know so like for them it's just it's more about image you know so politics is very important about you know and it just filters through the whole process ubisoft is no better it's uh it's a it's it's a french company and the french invented <laughs> bureaucracy you know they they invented bureaucracy you know yeah. you know they they build games the way that you would go to war you know they're like okay we got you know 500 pikemen used yeah in montreal and we got the, the 100 cavalry and you know what i mean we're gonna build this game with 1500 people you know like um but that's how they they've managed to survive um so you know to a certain degree it's a necessary evil um but surviving it is not easy to i mean honestly that's I, you know, to a certain degree has been one of the reasons I've moved from company to company is, um, you know, not escaping the politics, but, you know, wanting to try a different set of politics. And, well, and the truth is, even if you find a place that is free of politics, it won't stay that, that way forever. As soon as the game ships, the, the, um, the power situation sh always changes. Uh, this, this happened at 2K after we shipped Bioshock 2, for example. Um, you know, you saw a, an amazing team just dissolve in the face of mismanagement. Um, uh, and it's really saddening, um, but you see that enough times and you get a little jaded about the industry. You know, when you join the industry, you have this image of your head of, oh my God, I'm gonna make Halo fucking seven. It's gonna be amazing. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm living my dream. Um, but um, the reality is there's already a mountain of people that have already been there um, defending their, you know, their livelihoods. And as things get tighter, those things only get worse. Um, you know, one way to escape it is to start your own company. A lot of people have done that. It's just now it's incredibly competitive. Yeah. 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 Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I've and, learned to deal with politics by basically making sure that my voice is heard and you still, you know, be a good arguer, like be respectful, build consensus. That's, that's a better way I would describe because like I, I've been a lead for a while and you know, it's people think that when you're a lead, you get to make decisions, but really what you do is you build consensus because like nobody's like, you're like, okay, you have X resources of technology and you have to you have to decide who gets it between this team and that team. And it's about getting everybody in a room and everybody has to agree what's important, you know? Um, and that's, that just, uh, for me, that, that means communication. So um, when organizations freeze up and people stop talking, that's when real problems happen. Um, but as long as people are know how to argue in ways that are productive. And the biggest problem is if somebody in charge is not allowing, you know, consensus building to occur, then you get a very us versus them mentality between within an organization. And it's just can rot it can rot it can rot a team from the inside pretty badly. <clears throat> yeah. Like one of those biggest hits that I've experienced when I first worked at uh, you know, two K was pretty much my first big company. Um was when the game was wrapping up and the friend that I've been talking to for the last two years is saying that they're leaving. Like, it really does feel like a breakup. And that, yeah. I think, was the first time when I began to be jaded. Is like, you just killed off my friend, like, because of these issues that we keep bringing up, but you're not fixing it. Uh, and I, the thing is that wears me down is that uh, just you set up these hopes, right, 
of like it, it's going to only get better if I just change companies or I voice my concerns or uh, I say it in a way where everyone is agreeing to it that uh, things will be fixed. But the more I go into the industry, uh, the more I learn that you know, it's the same issues coming up and and reoccurring every time. Yeah. And I, I think that's what kills me, like, a lot with the bigger companies. It's just, yeah. like, it's the same issues over and over again. I do have to say, actually, um, the Kickside team that I was on, and it's totally, they kept us on another floor. So let me just put that. They put us on a separate floor from everybody else. But that, like, the people who ran that team were basically all old, jaded gamers. Yeah. And so they decided to run it um, the way they wanted to. And it was actually the most professional thing I've ever seen. Nobody stressed, like nobody worked, like everybody left, you know, reasonable times. Um, everybody, you know, everybody was a pro. Uh, and um, they did something, you know, they had some weird rules, like they wouldn't hire any junior and junior people at all at any level. Um, just, you know, and because they want to run really lean. But, you know, it can work. But, you know, from what I've seen, it's like one out of eight teams. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Is you know is actually where everybody's on the same level, everybody's honest and working towards the same goal. Um, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Like, what would you say? And we're it's we're kind of covering this. Like, what what are the main main problem that that this this is happening? I mean, I'm sure most industries and corporations, or whatever, has similar issues. But for the game industry, I feel like uh, it happens a lot more. It feels like yeah. it's just like. It, we're 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 expecting fun because you know it's not like an office job like it's reasonable to expect hey I'm gonna make games for a living it's gonna be awesome right you can't say that a lot with other jobs you kind of walk in knowing like all right I'm gonna be flipping burgers or I'm doing insurance <laughs> or you know you come in thinking like you know there's not gonna be anything exciting but it's a paycheck but with the game industry it hurts a little bit more because it's completely not Willy Wonka the factory like it it becomes. Yeah too real you know you're right it it happens everywhere but you're right the games industry gets harder especially with the hours um and i'm gonna have to blame the people in charge i you know you know because i've been there you have to be really strong and in the kinds of things that you need to do are like not require people to work hours like ridiculous hours you know like you can allow people to work late but not requiring it because I, you know, in my last five years in the game industry, I actually made a really big point of not staying late, you know, at Ubisoft. And they tried to do it uh, to set an example. And, and what it does is that it forces you to plan, you know, so you don't miss deadlines. And, you know, it just forces a whole a whole lot of better habits if you just operate under the assumption that you're going to leave at seven yeah. or six. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the problem is when management doesn't support this. Um you know, and sometimes I understand crunch, you know, if you're like, if you have an alpha coming up and it's like four weeks away and you're really behind, like four weeks of crunch in a year, I, that's reasonable, right? Yeah. Uh, I, can, I can understand that, you know, but, you know, there are some places I've seen that will like require a certain number of nights per week yeah. for yeah. six months, nine months on end. Um, and even if it's just like one or two nights a week, um it's not like anything more is getting done. What's going on is people are just doing less in, <laughs> in the same amount of hours. You know, it's, it doesn't really work as well as people think when it's institutionalized like that. Um, yeah, it's like, oh, all right, so I, I guess I have a two-hour dinner and yeah, a two-hour lunch. Know, and then right around eight, I'll uh, start browsing. <laughs> and like, I think a lot of 
young people are very willing to work these hours. And yeah. and so that's why I felt as a manager, I needed to set an example and not work them so that they got in the habit of not working them, you know. Um, but that's really, you know, that's really hard to get managed. Like a lot of people are not, don't think like that. A lot of people are, you know, just trying to hit their next deadline. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, do you, I'm sure you have this. Like every time you go to a new company, I mean, are, is this... Is there like a like a like a list that you kind of look out for? Like, all right, these are the patterns of a bad studio. Uh, if, <laughs> you know what I mean? I try not to look for them when I'm joining a place. I try to yeah. go in there with a positive mind. Oh, this nice. is the one. This is the one. This yeah, but after <laughs> after the second one, <laughs> you know. Um, what I mean? To a certain degree, well, you know, I, I came to accept that I was never going to find a perfect place, and so it's yeah. more like. Um, learning the do's and don'ts, learning how a place operates, l- learning who not to piss off, and you know, um, and also for me, um, I'm mostly learning and trying to figure out how I can make myself useful. Um, just because mostly I'm like terrified at my new job, they're going to realize I don't know what I'm doing and fire me or something like that, you know. Because like there's a lot, there's usually a steep learning curve. Like you know, I'm jumping from different engines, you know, and like. You know, I'm not cheap, so they're expect. You know, so they're. You know, I'm a little nervous that they're gonna. I call. It, I guess they call it imposter syndrome or something. So like, I'm always like trying to pick come up to speed real fast. Um, yeah. But I'm always keeping an eye out for um, who's in charge and who not to piss off because there there are weird personalities, especially engineers. There are some weird egos in the engineering crowd and everywhere and in the design crowd too, actually. Um, um, it's hilarious. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. But like, you know, I agree. There are some weird personalities. <laughs> yeah, and if they're good at their job, then nobody cares. So you know, just steer clear. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, we've mentioned this before, but you engineers are uh, they? You interview each other a little bit differently than us. Like designers and artists, we base fifty-fifty at least, or even more. I think sometimes sixty-forty on personality, and then technique or your actual work. But you guys are kind of like 100% work, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, some engineers are not very good interviewers in that some of them are using it as a way to prove their superiority or something. I don't know. So, you know, you get those weird ego guys in a room and they're like, oh, this guy worked on this game. Let me ask him some questions and see if I can stump him, right? Yeah. Um, so you get a little bit of that. And um, <laughs> But, wow. like, yeah, no, engineers are hard you know some places they're not you know even if their team is hiring they may feel personally threatened in their job if they bring somebody onto the team right so a lot of these people are being you know overly critical and you know some of these people do let's say you've been working on a bug for like six hours right and it's you know you forgot you had an interview somebody says oh taps on your shoulders oh you got an interview right now so you go in the room and you're all like pissed off and amped up and they're, they're just going to try to shred you right you know so a lot of the you know and they have you know it's just um you know, is that I, they're hard. You know, two K did this. So it, everybody says it differently. Two K, they had eight engineers, and they would do like a group interview, mm-hmm. uh, and like it's very friendly. Like they're all friendly guys at two K, but like I just couldn't imagine how intimidating that must be to somebody sitting in a room of like the two K engineering team all at once being interviewed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's intimidating, and and part of it is because um, for every engineer you hire. Uh, you know, there's this, this weird saying where, like, you know, a good engineer is, is 10 times better than, than a mediocre engineer and a really good engineer is, you know, so there's this, like, so the thing is every engineer you bring on is a potential liability um, as opposed to an asset. Uh, and so you have to be extra careful because once you hire them, you cannot get rid of them unless they're really bad. Um, 
right? And so, you know, so that is every, very true. I, I I rarely see an engineer get fired. Right. And so if you get a bad engineer, and you can't really talk openly about it either. Yeah. It's just a problem everybody has to manage at some point. Um, and, you know, I found that sounds so elitist talking about it like that. But, you know, I think, you know, game engineers are elitists. Let me just say, it. okay, I'll say yeah. it. Game engineers are pretty elitist. Um, yeah. But it's because, you know, if somebody's off their game and, like, you know, fucks up on, on Friday night, you know, if you're the senior engineer, it's your job anyway. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, th- that's the way the engineering responsibility is. Like, you know, um, jun- it's, it's a lot like hazing. Like, junior engineers get all the, all the crap poured on them. But when, when the, you know, when push comes to shove, the, the, who, you know, the, seniority, the responsibility goes uphill, you know. <laughs> and when the producer, the executive producers, you know, you know, at Friday night is why the hell is the build not working? You know, it, the lead engineer gets the shit and then it all rolls downhill till they figure out the problem. You know, so like they, you know, they're also super critical about getting a loose, a weak, a, a weak chain because they would rather keep the, you know, they would rather, you know, depends on where they are and how desperate they are for the position, how excited. And so that's why they grill the guy, you know, to see if they're, the guy is more of a liability than an asset. So does that happen a lot? Like, throughout the dev cycle, like, is it pretty predatorial within the engineer team? I mean, it no, seems like I, you guys laugh over there. No, you know, <laughs> honestly, engineers don't play that many, that much politics, honestly. The engineers, are, for the most part, are, you know, they have social inequities, they have social problems in general sometimes, but they're not necessarily trying to be sneaky or something or trying to, like, they're not trying to design by, you know, most, most of them are just, you know, yeah, they're just trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. <clears throat> yeah, so they're, they're, they don't play politics. You know, my my girlfriend, she's she's uh she she works with women in a oh no, I'm not gonna say that sounds sexist. <laughs> she works with women. No, 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 no. Engineers, engineers <laughs> have are like like very low maintenance for like politics for the most part. Uh, it's but the thing is, men like they are a valuable resource, so they're often have to pick a side. Yeah, or, now that uh, you mention it, man, I have not really seen any female engineers. Oh, man. Oh, it's the, they get chased uh, out of the industry. That's why. Dude, I know a few, um, and they're very good. Um, yeah, no, it's real bad. Honestly, the game industry has a, a game industry has a sexism problem. It yes. has a racism problem. Yes. It has an ageism problem, um, but not for yes. me yet. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> uh, but it will be. A, you know, it does though. Um, but and not necessarily in that order. But it has all those problems. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more so than probably the tech industry. The pet tech industry is bad too. Yeah, like um, because I'm I'm trying to think back. Like with the artist department, it's relatively the same. But I do tend to see women artists. But I've never. I don't think I've ever worked with a female engineer. In yeah, I mean, I I can count them. I can go through them. Like that's how few. <laughs> you know, like two two is maybe it, three, three at EA. Um, Brandon, two, you work with one. maybe three at three four three. Three four three actually had a really female heavy. They had actually a lot of their management at three four three was female. I actually, I've worked with a lot of female managers, um, like Alyssa at two K, um, Bonnie and Kiki at three four three. Um, all the management at Ubisoft was also like female. Um, so they may not be engineers, but there's a lot of managers. <laughs> that works. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like six total. 
Damn. Is it the same when you went you know, through, like, through MIT? Was it the same through there? MIT. Like um, on the college level and everything? No, I mean, MIT had. Oh, sorry, my camera did something. Funny. I was like, what the? Oh, <laughs> it took some acid there. He's an AI um, the whole time. <laughs> the, uh, MIT was way better. I mean, it was like, it wasn't great. I mean, it was probably like 25% female, which is terrible, but yeah. like still way better than the game industry. Yeah. <laughs> but you um, mentioned the tech industry is a little bit better, right? It's, Overall? it's a little bit better. I, I'm still kind of new, and my company is being very proactive about, about women. Yeah. And yeah, so our head uh, compiler engineer is, is a woman. Um, we have. We only have like twelve people, so it's we have that many people. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's I'm glad that they're very proactive about it and it's aware on their mind. Um, they also do my uh, they also use this thing which I I I hope I wish hope more companies do where when they um, they they look at resumes to this thing that scrambles the name so you mm-hmm. can't tell um, ethnicity or who it is. Yeah, it's um, really cool. And so yeah, you can't tell male female that kind of thing. So um, that gives me hope that other people are embracing this kind of technology because uh, that means that they they acknowledge that they have bias you know and to remove it so it's good yeah and this kind of leads into my next question which is like i have a running theory that the reasons why a lot of the bigger companies are having the same problem uh, is that we're the same type of people are rising to the top it feels like like i feel like when i go to a company and there's something wrong with it i can look at that guy as like you know i think i bet he's a cousin of that other guy that i work with at my previous company because they're so similar like they're yeah. just so similar in everything they do and well so in their defense and because uh, th- I've seen the same, I know exactly what you're talking about. And the same people pop up at the same company. Like, yeah. just being around in the Bay Area, you're like, that guy is the same guy as there. And they're, and they're, um, and the thing is, it's the same people are in charge of the same amount of money. And, and, um, there are, there's nobody else that's qualified for those positions. Like, they, like, technically, if you look at their resume, yeah. I mean, they, you could argue that they did a terrible, terrible job, but like, nobody else was doing that job. So, um, like the problem is that they have no competition. Um, right. For, like you know, yeah, I, I can't roll. Like, well, maybe I could at, at a startup. I could probably roll. Like you know, there's CTO position or something like that. But like, um, it's, it's CEOs. It's I. It's unless you're starting your own company, it's you can't break into the CEO job market, right? Yeah. Um, that's pretty much the only way to get into it, unless you go to business school or something like that. And yeah. so these guys have a monopoly on a very limited market of jobs. You know. Somebody wants to start a new gaming company, and they have they get twenty million dollars of funding, and they need a general manager. How many people in the Bay Area have general manager experience, and how many people of those have you worked with? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the people who are actually making the games are busy making the games. That's true. And the people and who not, aren't making yeah. the games are the one rising to the top. <laughs> there's like a there's some sort of there's some sort of moat or wall. I mean, yeah. like, can you imagine how difficult it would be for somebody who's working as an animator? on a project to even conceive of getting up to like a general manager of a studio level or something like that. I mean, how many, I mean, design director might even be, you know, like hard to, to figure out the path. So, I mean, so I mean, and then you need to be in the general manager kind of job pool to make it to like the, the VP of engineering or the VP of design or something like that. And then you need to be there before you can get to like, see, like it's just a filtering mechanism. and, And I think they control to a certain degree who goes through there and they tend to hire and promote people like them. Yeah. And I feel like that that detachment that you're talking about is the reason why like people don't feel bad about making people stay late or knowing the the heart you know and sweat yeah. that people put into these games. And to, to a certain degree, it's up to the first level managers at the studios to defend 
their employees. Yeah. And then that's when the things break because I've been in situations and I've seen situations where someone would go up to a manager, say something, and then I see that person leave her office or his office. <laughs> And then the person that they would complain about goes right in afterwards. <laughs> it's like, is she just forwarding what he just said? <laughs> this person said this to me. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? How yeah. is this going to fix the problem? Now, so that's now that, that boss is going to hate on, going to hate on the guy who just tattled on him. So, that, so, so when you're saying, what do I look out for in your company? That's what I look out for. I look out yeah. for who who is loyal to who, and that sounds terrible. It sounds like I'm playing Big Brother or something. But no, people actually, you know, people form relationships and clicks. Oh yes. And you know, I try not to judge. And so, but I know if you know if this person and that guy are, are having lunch every other day, like. You know, I'm I'm not gonna. Uh, <laughs> I know that's how that's gonna go, right? <laughs> you, get, you don't even try to penetrate. Just and I have been in situations where I've I, I've had to leave a job because of political situations. Uh, you know, like three four three when they hired me, they they put out offers to three different people for AI leads, thinking that only one of us or maybe two of us might accept. All three of us accepted, and like they they thought the best way to handle this is that it would be. All three of us could be co-AI leads. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. How do you have enough yeah. money to even make that a thing? You know what I mean? Like, know? I didn't so think like, foes can be up to three. Right? <laughs> so, like, you know, this is a bad situation. This is like being dealt a 16 with an ace showing, you know? Like, <laughs> like what do you do? You know, it's a, it's a political nightmare no matter how you try to play it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, my solution was... I carved out a little piece of tech and just worked on that the whole time. I so what I did on Halo Four is I was responsible. I I replaced Bungie's pathfinding system with Havoc AI's pathfinding system, and it was you know um, that was a lot of fun. Actually, it, I learned a lot because I got to learn everything about Bungie's pathfinding system, which was old school. Like it, I think it was originally written for like Myth on like. Yeah. Myth three, like yeah. yeah, and like and then on Halo, I think one, I think so. It was ancient. It was super efficient and like written for, like you know, ancient hardware. <laughs> Go here. <laughs> this is yeah. what I turn here. <laughs> and then replacing it with like Havoc AI, which is like totally modern. Yeah. Um, That's what I see fun. with pretty much any proprietary engine. Is like as soon as you dig through the crap. It's like it's barely duct taped together. It's like what the fuck? <laughs> Who does this anymore? Like everyone just bandages the engine in in some way or form. It's without... really hard to build long term. So you know, what? honestly, I'm really impressed with Unreal Four. When they first were was pushing Blueprint it, and it was super buggy, I I kind of hated it. But once it got working, I was amazed because I know, I've seen Unreal Two, I've seen Unreal Three, and so like the amount of change that they must have gone from three to four is Unbelievable! I couldn't yeah. believe it. Honestly, I'm pretty impressed. Um, they stopped making Gears of War. <laughs> just focused well, solely on making engines. They had yeah. to compete with you. Yeah. Unity sent shockwaves through the industry, man. With and I was like, oh man, they're really closing in on the gap. One and two, they have like an incredible market share. I was like, there's yeah. no way as indie development studios are shutting, or excuse me, as mid-level development studios are shutting down top-level studios are shutting down, that you're going to continue waving the banner of $1 million for our engine, please. You yeah. <laughs> it was a very good thing, yeah, yeah. that they yeah. came up. Like I, I see their comparison being a lot like Apple and Android, it feels like. 
I was shocked that they only got 180 million in their. I mean, that's a lot of money, but like, I feel like I see Snapchat and stuff getting like 20 billion dollar valuations, right? And and I look at like Unity, and I'm like, Pokemon Go is built on that, I think, or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. (laughs) It's ridiculous to me that it's that low valuation, but um, but it's they did a bunch of changes. They hired a new CEO who's is one of those CEOs that's been bouncing around the game companies, Riccatello, maybe I forget his name. I forget who's running it now. But yeah, they moved the headquarters from Copenhagen here, so. Maybe that was slowing them down. I don't know. Yeah, our friend Ray works there now. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Ray uh, Raphael. I don't know if you get uh, Raphael. I think he works there too. Maybe not. I think. Dude, look, he's we're, all we're an unbiased podcast, so if we like you, we like you. If we don't, we don't. I will gladly say <laughs> this to everyone listening right now. Shout out to Raymond Graham and all the awesome people at Unity. That's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, like, awesome. with all <laughs> with all yeah, these issues great. kind of stacking up throughout the industry, like. VR is here, it's exciting, but it's so early where it's not it's not sound enough for indie developers to go on full time. But like it's perfect for indie developers to go on, but it's a huge risk, right? It's a weird yeah. rip problem. At the same time, AAA is doing its AAA thing, all right? But uh, I think more and more of it, it's turning into uh, uh, in-app after, uh, purchases. Like a lot of their game, they're they're selling content within the game after they they ship it, right? So maybe that's the route they're going, more digital, more free-to-play or whatever. What changes uh, do you see just stepping back from it all, right? So Larry and I are still in this hell. (laughs) (laughs) But now that you have some outside perspective, right? Now that you know what an engineer should actually make in Silicon Valley, (laughs) like what's your perspective on where we're going here? Like, what's the future oh, of this? Oh, man. It's so, I mean, to a certain degree, like, the, like working in games and tech, there's a lot of, you know, snake oil salesmen in tech out here, too. Like, um, the whole making money in Silicon Valley is totally trippy. I, like, it is totally like out of Silicon Valley, that TV show. And it is... You know, which makes you, it's its totally a fantasy land um, to a certain degree. Whereas games feel more like, you know, there's a lot of, a lot more history. You you know what has worked in the past. You, you know, you kind of have a framework to work with. Um, you know, I don't miss the hours within games. And, if, and you know, and I don't miss the ridiculous, you know, pressures and, 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 uh, and things like that. Um but there's a lot of passion that that you find, and there's a lot of um, focus, you know, and a lot of like there's a lot more real talent. There's, I, you know, I feel like in tech you can get a long way with a good idea, um, you know, poorly executed, perhaps, you know, maybe no execution, um, which you know, it's not as romantic to me in my eyes. I don't know. I feel like it's less of an art. It's not an art. It's business. Yeah. You know, people are building businesses. They're not making art. And I feel like. You know, games. You have to go in. The, you know, you have, if you're if you're into making art, um, you're going to be disappointed if you leave. That's the only thing. Um, you know, yeah, I feel I, like it's, yeah. I, I totally get you. Like, games kind of has it has deadlines, right? It doesn't have ever flowing money like Google or Facebook yeah. that feeds into you just goofing off and doing mediocre work, right? Well, I'm not saying they're mediocre, but you, you there's no yeah. uh, immediate need for you to succeed right now right where games it kind of paints you into a corner it's like dude if you don't make this we don't have a company anymore but then that serves up like creative solutions that drives the industry forward in very innovative ways like there's 
no coincidence that the game industry has grown so such a at a fast rate over the years, right? We're driving pretty much the PC market right now. People buy, people buy PCs for games. Yeah, right? it's true. So, uh, with that being said, though, like Silicon Valley is is probably at least in the last three years have taken more notice of games, right, in a big way, where they're seeing like huge buyouts of game companies that are like uh, competing against film. That has been around for thirty years, like ILM or something, right? Like yeah. what was Candy Crush, like eight eight billion or something ridiculous like that, or the entirety of like George Lucas's Star Wars universe did yeah. not even equate <laughs> to somebody's like match three game. You know? <laughs> so, like, what, do you now that you're on the other side, right, uh, of the of the bridge in a way? Like, has the perspective changed? Like, is there a little bit a little bit more respect? To game developers, or is it just like they're just still playing over well, there? For me, no. I t- like okay. It depends. Like, I think there's a pretty, pretty big divide amongst traditional AAA gamers, game developers, and web mobile. Uh, like, the skill sets don't 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 overlap as much, and so the people tend to not overlap. So I think they're actually very distinct cultures. Um, and and very different kinds of modes of operation, um, and you know I think it's weird. So I still have a huge amount of respect for you know people, especially AAA and traditional gaming, because um, nobody anywhere is working as hard on and pushing the limits like that. You know what I mean? The only people you might imagine are, uh, you know, and this is what I was talking about earlier is the, the only way you get this in, in Silicon Valley and in tech companies of people really believe like if they're at like Tesla and they're working on a, on a car and they're like super pumped about it, you know, or they really feel like they're changing the world. But for the most part, you know, people working at freaking WhatsApp, you know, do not feel like their hours are going to a good purpose or, you know, at least entertainment, you know, I don't know. Um, I think I got on the side. I think I got sidetracked. I think I got on the tangent there. Um, but um, no, I think so. The game developers—it's weird. I didn't realize outside of games um, that the tech—you know—the the way that game developers work is a little bit old-fashioned. They don't—they don't use a lot of things that are used in tech. So, you know, I had thought game like game engineers had a much higher reputation than they did outside of tech. So, game developers may think that they're better than they are, but the the truth is. Um, they are. They, you know, the people working in games are really um, remarkable. They're they're hard to find people that are that solid and that dedicated. So I don't know. I have the highest regard for people, especially in AAA gaming. I just don't have like, the only experience I have for people in the others are like Hixai. You know, mm-hmm. um, like I'm sure there's some good people over at Zynga, and I'm, I'm, you know, I actually know a lot of people over there, and there are some good people, but it's um, it's a different culture. It's a very different culture, but. Um, yeah, the hours have to stop. You know, people have to figure out how to plan better. Um, Can you kind of walk through like a typical workday, like versus like what what would be at your current job and then what it used to be at a game job? Like, what are the big yeah. differences? I mean, I was really good at Ubisoft Toronto. So Ubisoft Toronto, I would get in at like ten to ten thirty. You know, uh, and then I would leave around seven. Um, and I was, you know, and except during crunch when we had to like you know the week before a deadline or something like that you know i would come in on the weekends um now it's um the hours of you know i get in at 10 i leave at six 
pretty pretty easy. We have some really Damn. young people in their early twenties. We have some really young people in their early twenties, um, and they some of them stay really late. <laughs> like they like some of these people stayed like ten or eleven, two some nights. Um, but that's okay. like. I'm okay with seeing that in the game studio because, like, if, if people are doing that without being told, that means they're really excited about something. Yeah. Really, and that's fine. And then if they come in late the next day, whatever, you know, that's that is the kind of overtime that people should be allowed to. The problem is, um, I think this happened a lot in the game industry at one point, and people just came to accept it as regular behavior or something. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a really bad habit. So, um, but like 2K, let me think. Okay. Now, 2K, I worked a lot. Um, I worked more at EA. I, EA really took advantage of me, but I worked a lot at 2K, and mostly that was it was my first lead position, so I was really trying to prove myself. But uh, and I was single at the time, you know. Um, and that's the thing when you get older, like you got kids, you, you know, you can't work these kind of hours. But I, I at the time, I, I was willing to, um, and I would come in. I okay, so I used to come in at like 11, 11:30. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I, I came in pretty late, um, but I would stay. I want to say it to like 10. Yeah. Well, you did Um, your time. Yeah. Yeah. And then like some weekends, I I, I would work from home, you know, on the weekends and stuff. Um, You know, a lot of that I was having fun and I was, you know, probably wasn't healthy. Like, you know, if I, you know, if, if I could tell myself, my, my younger self, I would tell myself not to work those ridiculous hours. Um, Cause I think I, we still could have gotten it done. Um, But you know, uh, I was excited. I was passionate about it. You know, I don't mind putting in the hours when I'm passionate. Um, I, yeah, I did get in a couple disagreements with Alyssa when I didn't want to put in those hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some funny stories there. I, I, I think she's still pissed about, uh, yeah, like she's still not linked in with me and stuff like that. <laughs> still, it was like... The ultimate it was, Yeah, it was like... LinkedIn the week- invitations are like free too. It's like... <laughs> Like well, you know, on the other hand, I haven't reached out to LinkedIn with her, so you know, uh, you know, it's equal equal blame. But yeah, like um, it was like I forget what it was. It was like right before launch, and I wanted to go to Vegas, and I asked for permission, and she said no. But I had already bought the tickets, so it was like yeah. you know, I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut and go, and just and and I'm like, what are the odds? She's gonna call me in, right? And like I'm in Vegas, and it's like Sunday morning. And she calls me and says, "There's something she needs me to look at a bug right now." And I'm like, "Son of a bitch! I'm like in Vegas. <laughs> she caught me, right?" And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure she like ended up not being like a couple hours later. I was told that it had, you know, I I wasn't actually needed, but I got caught red-handed there, man. Uh, that was my bad. I was, you know, being young. But. Well, did you have to fess up? Or like, I'm not there. You didn't. Really I, I well, you know, when she caught me on the phone, I fessed up. I told her I was I couldn't come in. I told her I was out of town. And she knew. I think she knew. (laughs) (laughs) I think I didn't need to say anything. Uh, Like in the background, you hear ching, 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 ding, ding, ding. Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) There's no hiding in there. Oh, my dishwasher is uh, not working. (laughs) Seven craps. Oh, (laughs) Oh, man. I I made some bad decisions back then, maybe. I <laughs> it's, it's a funny story that's, now. Right, that's, I'll tell you that. I mean, that's that's illustrating a point. You're you're on a weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the whole idea. You know, I should be able to go to Vegas on a weekend and not have it actually impact my work life. I shouldn't have to feel like my job is threatened as a result. Yeah. Um, for example, it's a, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a weird issue right now that uh, I'm I'm starting to see. Like, uh, they're not as much forcing you to stay in the weekends as much. Like, 
if you're a smart company, you're not allowed to do that. But they'd be <laughs> suggesting things like, hey, we have lunch this weekend. What are you eating? He's like, what? <laughs> like, Steve over there is eating a sandwich. Would you like a sandwich? <laughs> like, they would try to persuade you in other ways. It's like, dude, no, I'm out. <laughs> oh, I'm man, not- at least they have laws here, man. Like, you know, there's a reason why Ubisoft doesn't have any studios in the United States. Can I kind of go over that? Like, what were the biggest differences of working? Because well, I mean, I've never worked out of the country before. They so. explicitly said that they believe that uh, game developers, engineers, artists of all types should be paid less because the job is fun, for example. Um, ah. uh, yes, and, and you know, they would require, they had minimum required overtime amounts every week, and things like this would not be legal in California. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but, you know, they, so they have a difficult problem in that they employ a lot of people. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, I, managing that is also difficult. And so they kind of have to do it like you, you would a large organization, have, you know, blanket rules. And, but, like, you know, but the problem is they're, you know, they shouldn't be requiring overtime and stuff like that, right? This is a bad, a bad attitude. But, you know, out, outside the U.S., um, the job market for gaming is really hard. Uh, so they can hire anybody they want, basically. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of comp- like outside the U.S. It's actually really difficult. Like if you can't get a U.S. visa, you know, I feel for people. It's really hard. Man, I yeah, guess I shouldn't feel so bad about Chinese food or pizza. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> like hey, Larry. No, I mean, yeah. No, it's 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 you know, you're just actually making me remark actually how because like, California is not as bad the culture is worse in terms of encouraging people to work later but the 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 institutionalization of it in terms of expecting it like you know if you're interviewing for your qa job in turkey you know they can outright ask if you're able to work 80 hours you know for example um you know the qa guys there probably get the worst you know um it's rough so yeah i mean it's unfortunate it's unfortunate um, especially, you know, especially considering how talented everybody is, you know, like people yeah. should have to decide between their families and, and their art <laughs> when they're that talented, right? You know, yeah. this is making sense. Yeah. Um, so next question I have is like, I, I grew up during the PS1, PS2 era, right? And uh, when we, when I started working in industry and seeing the PS3, uh, I began this. I I don't know if I was in this industry and I was more attuned to to what's going on, but like I felt like there were more companies shutting down every other week. Right? Was this something that you see that has been uh, birthed because of the transition into the PS3 era, where budgets got bigger and all these different things, or is just like all the bad habits just cat uh, just caught up with everyone, or the suddenly they're the, like the graduates. Uh, college would, was graduating all these terrible managers, and then it just went into like what what exactly happened and why is it? I feel like it's always issue? been that way. I don't know. Uh, maybe the industry got to a certain size, but I feel like ever since then there's just been a constant churn of new startups um, and people dying off. Um, I'm just like in the last five years, like you know, so many studios in England uh, and uh, in Canada just shutting their doors. Um, 
But on the other hand, you've got dozens of indie places starting up. Uh, and, you know, all you need is, you know, a small percentage of those to have the huge successes. So I think there's always a turning. I don't know why. I, I think, you know, that may be part of the problem. If all these new companies are starting from startups, these people are super passionate. You know, if you're three guys in a garage, you're probably all working 80 hours a week. And as you scale, you're going to be scaling like that. And at some point, you have to decide to not do that anymore. And that might be difficult for people. Um, that may be part of their culture. I, I don't know. Um, I've never seen one of these companies through their entire life cycle. So it's, you know, it's hard to say. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry I don't have much more insight. I feel like there's been a constant churn of companies. And it definitely seems to come with um, transitions. There's definitely periods of bursts. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, because you keep hearing about EA and, and these companies keep gobbling up new studios. Um, yeah. And this is kind of a weird economy of bubbling, you know, new new startups coming out. It's but it's competition all around. You know, I think I've heard somebody describe it as like a gladiator uh, economy, where like every, you know, you have this large population of underpaid people that are all slugging it out for you know a championship win, for, you know, winner take all, um, and it just makes for just a brutal, you know, brutal economic environment. Um, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, like so. we're. It's scary, too, to think that the companies that we do hear that shut down are the popular ones, right? So we don't even know how much startup yeah. companies that did not even make it. You don't even hear about them. The start, yeah, like, yeah so. I read about a story about, like, two guys who graduated from school and wanted to make a game on Steam, and they spent, like, five years in their parents' basement, and they documented it all. And then, like, they launched, and they made, like, 10 grand uh, and they were like oh super impressed. I know, and uh, and so they wrote a blog article about it, warning people don't do this. <laughs> you know what? You know? Though? I'll say ten grand for your first game is actually noteworthy. It's just unfortunate that they invested yeah. so much. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, they didn't know what they were doing for the most part and learning along the way, and so like they thought it was only going to take a year or two. You know, they stuck to it. You know, which is good for them, but. Yeah, and, and a ten thousand is right is respectable. If they had spent six months on it and it was their first game and they're trying to go, you know, that'd be one thing. Like, but yeah, I, I think feel... a lot of people are out there in that position, and it's just can you imagine competing against that? I mean, yeah, yeah. I feel like the natural <laughs> cycle for a lot of game developers, like, do your time, right? Spend some years because there is a lot of usefulness to meet all these industry vet veterans who's been in it for a long time, and just being through what it's like a game cycle and what not to do and learn that thing. And then go off on your own and like yes. be able to schedule things correctly there and make, is, make that indie hit. Yeah. yeah, there is a treasure trove of knowledge in people's head in the game industry that isn't written down anywhere. Like yeah. it's stuff that like you don't even know that you know, um, and it's I guarantee you it's not known outside the game industry. I am always shocked that things that I just assumed that everybody knew um, that you only learn on the job. I yeah, so I highly recommend that. It's game industry, if nothing else, is a great place to get hardened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. You definitely need to have that battle tested armor, like before you go out and say, I'm ready to fight a war for myself. Like, it, yeah. it's, I would not work with people who have no experience in any sort of industry or business. And if I did, right? Like, I, because you're going to be leading everything, you're going to be telling them everything. And they're still going to be skeptical, right? Because they have. And they're going to fight you. Exactly. Yeah. They don't just inherently know that. Yeah, he's telling the truth. Let's do this. Yeah, you know yeah I mean? exactly. <laughs> and I'm getting that a lot now because, like, you know, I'm not technically working in my field of expertise, and so 
they're constantly questioning me. And I, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, totally. Oh, man. Well, uh, <laughs> I got to jump in and say, you have actually been podcasting with us for over an hour and eight minutes. You know, yeah, it didn't feel like it at all because we had such a good time talking, but I have to oblige by the Game Dev Unchained rules, and at the end of every podcast, once we hit the hour mark, we let the guest promote, plug, and advertise anything that they would like, draw attention or shine to anything that they're working on, and you are no different. You're not special. You get the same <laughs> treatment. <laughs> well, I guess uh, if anybody out there is curious about AI and stuff like that, you can check out my new company. We're doing a public beta probably, oh, I don't know if this is enough, but keep an eye out for it in the fall. <laughs> keep an eye out for it in the fall. Um, we're doing something soon, and you can check it out. Uh, it's at www.bonsai.ai or bonds.ai. You can check it out. Um, other than that, it's um, the world is uh, going through some changes right now, so everybody go out and vote and also talk to people, get active in your communities, get passionate because hey, um, the world is like changing at a rapid pace right now, and everybody matters. Oh, get man. out there. Seriously. Awesome. I'm, I'm speechless. That's probably the best thing <laughs> we've gotten. I mean, it's an important time right now, man. It's scary to me, but, you know, everybody matters. And just talking, because there's too much of a divide. Everybody, you need to get everybody talking. Um, build consensus. Build consensus yes. and try not to destroy the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, voting is important and everybody should do it. But I think people should also try to get active in some way. Try to get in the community you're passionate about. Get, get, find something you're passionate about and you care about and get involved in it. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. I want people to go back to being people. Yes. This is, this is <laughs> madness. Uh, well, I'm Larry <laughs> Charles. Thanks for listening to Game Dev Unchained the podcast, and I'm out. I'm out. Bring it down. Care. I'll see you guys. See you, Matt. Take care. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.